Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be back with you again this Sunday. We thank the Lord for his provisions this week. <clears throat> Sorry, just a couple more seconds here to get ready. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just simply ask that you would be with us now as we turn to your word. Enlighten our hearts. Be with us. May the full power of your word come upon our hearts. We want, we want a special touch. We want a special word from you this day through your scriptures. Unleash your Holy Spirit among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, we are talking about forgiveness. And on the way in to church today, I was listening to the jazz station and the song came up, I Forgive You. Never heard the song before, I just take that as a sign from God. He wants us to understand his forgiveness. Amen. I want to give credit to the staff. This week during our staff meeting, we were talking about this scripture and the various members of the staff, they gave all kinds of great insights. And in all honesty, I stole some of those insights. I put them right into my sermon. So I want to give credit where credit is due. In my opinion, forgiveness has fallen on hard times. Unfortunately, I know this has been true in my life often. We often think of forgiveness as optional. We seem to constantly, as I listen to my own heart, as I listen to people, and I've heard this over and over again for years and years and years, we seem to be constantly talking ourselves out of the need to forgive others. But Matthew 6, 14 through 15 makes it clear, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So there is a clear link between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. To talk about forgiveness, obviously we need to talk about sin, and the main thing I'll be talking about today is our lack of unforgiveness. Um, I have no interest, I, I've said this before in the pulpit, as a preacher, I really have very little interest in producing shame or guilt in you. I just think shame and guilt are just horrible motivators. I think they rarely lead us to true repentance and change in our lives. But shame often arises as we talk about sin or guilt. Um, we'll talk more about that later in the sermon. But just know that my desire is for you to know the forgiveness of God. My desire is for you to know the ridiculous grace of God. I was listening to um, a podcast this week, and it was uh, Brene Brown. She was interviewing a guy named Dr. Bruce Perry, an American psychiatrist, and they were talking about neuroscience, the study of the brain and how it works. And we know so much more about the brain than we ever have. And he was talking specifically about the response mechanism in our brain and the fact right now that it's overworked by so many circumstances in our lives. So any challenge issued right now seems to be met with our overreactivity, our defensiveness, as I said, maybe our shame, or worse, we begin to accuse ourselves or tear ourselves down. You know, there have been many key moments in my Christian life. One of them, it was probably six, seven years ago, maybe more, I decided, I was stuck in my life, I decided to go for unbound prayer. And if you've been at New Life for any length of time, you're familiar with unbound prayer. If, if you haven't been here all that long, unbound prayer, it's just a simple prayer model that was developed by our friends at Heart of the Father Ministries, and it's, it's a model of prayer that we have used 
quite often for people who get stuck or weighed down in their sin. We find that there needs at some point to be a deliverance from that sin. We get stuck. We can pray all we want. We can cry out so many times. Sometimes a deliverance is necessary. And we love unbound prayer because it goes after deliverance, but it kind of removes all the craziness that is often associated with deliverance ministries. So on that particular day, I decided to go to Heart of the Father ministry and receive unbound prayer. And what God revealed to the people who were praying for me and the person who was leading the prayer was that I had unforgiveness in my heart. And if all, if I'm honest with you this day, a lot of that unforgiveness was towards various members of this church for the way that they had hurt me. Now, in 30-some years of ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people about how the church has hurt them. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who've walked away from the church because of how they have been hurt. But it, for me, in that particular day, it was my sin of unforgiveness. I repented, and the Lord delivered me from that sin on that day. I was set free. Up until that moment, I didn't believe that God really loved me. I knew it in my head, but I didn't know it in my heart. Up until that day, I did not really believe in my heart of hearts that God has forgiven me. But on that day, when I was delivered from my unforgiveness, I knew without a shadow of doubt that God loves me and that he forgives me, and I was set free. I needed to forgive, but more importantly, I needed to be forgiven by God. All forgiveness begins with God forgiving us first. So we're again, we're in the book of Mark. My summary of the book of Mark is this, kingship through crucifixion. Jesus Christ becomes the king, the true king, through his crucifixion on the cross, sent by the Father, and the culmination of it, his, his willingness to go to the cross and be crucified. And Mark, throughout his book, he's always showing the various responses of the crowd, the various responses of his disciples to the message of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God has come upon this earth. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the question today is, as it is every single day, what will your response to Jesus be? So let's stand together. We will be reading from Mark chapter 2, and we will be reading verses 1 through 12. Let's read the Word of God together. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? It's blasphemy. Who forgives sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? 
Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they said, praising God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. My main idea for today is our fundamental need. Our fundamental need is for forgiveness. And Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive. Let's pray again. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My first point is that faithful friends bring others to Jesus Christ. Faithful friends bring others to Jesus. Jesus is back in Capernaum at this point, and he's most likely at Peter's home, and the crowd begins to gather, so much so that there's no room in the house anymore. There's no room even outside the door. They are packed out. If you were to do a study of how Mark looks at the crowds in his gospel, At best, for the most part, he would see them as kind of neutral, but not typically positively, not typically doing the right thing, not typically responding to Jesus' words and becoming disciples of Christ. Sometimes they do what's right. Oftentimes, they're just curious or really interested in the sensationalism of the healings. And frequently, as we see in our passage for today, they are actually getting in the way of Jesus' ministry. The crowds hear Jesus' words, but they often don't act on those words. In contrast, the friends of the paralytic men, they are men of action. They are perfect examples of what James 2.26 says, faith is dead without good works. These men are full of good works, and they are going to get their friend to Jesus no matter what. Like I said, um, The crowd is in the way at this point, and they're going to decide what they're going to do to get their friend to Jesus. Faith in the Bible is about action. Not just believing something, but doing something based on that belief. These friends are taking good friends, faithful friends. They bring others to Jesus Christ. And that's what these four men are about to do. Think, let's just think for a second. Think of all the friends, Christian friends, that you have in your life, faithful friends that have brought you to Jesus time and time and time again. Just think of how many faithful friends you have in the body of Christ. These men will not be thwarted by the crowd in front of them. So they get this plan to go up on the roof In the ancient Near Eastern world, the houses were small, and most of them had a stairway leading to the roof, and it was kind of a deck. And, you know, so there were these beams on the roof, and then there was this kind of thatching system of other twigs and and, and, um, other pieces of wood and a layer of mud. We know from the parallel passage in Luke that there were tiles. And so it created this nice deck, and this deck was used for all kinds of reasons by the, the... the people of the house, they would go up and pray. 
They would go up on a, a hot night to get the cool breeze so they could sleep. They would often work on top of this deck. So these men decide they're going to go up on Peter's roof and they're going to tear this thing apart. I don't know. I can't even imagine what got them thinking about that, except the fact that they're going to be faithful friends. They are going to get their friend to Jesus for healing. The scripture, the Greek actually says they unroofed the roof. They thoroughly tore it apart. Now, I, we were talking, as I said, we were talking in the staff meeting, and somebody said, I, I sure hope that Peter had a good home warranty plan. And somebody said, well, do you think that that was covered by the warranty plan? And Pastor Larry said, well, it was an act of God, yes? So I, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Larry's, Pastor Larry's often pretty funny. Act of God or not, it doesn't, or not, it doesn't matter. These men thoroughly tear this roof apart. Now, I don't know what Peter's thinking as he watches the debris fall down. I don't know what he's thinking as he sees his roof thoroughly ripped apart. I don't know how I would feel if I were the friends. Would I really have enough faith to go on top of somebody's roof and completely tear apart their house big enough so I can lower down my friend to be with Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is these men had faith. Faith enough to not worry about Peter, not worry about the roof. They were going to get their friend to Jesus for healing. Jesus was impressed with their faith as they're tearing through the, 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 the roof and it's falling on people's heads. I just, I just picture Jesus smiling the whole time, like impressed with their faith. When Jesus sees their faith, he acts in their favor to heal their friend. Faithful friends bring others to Jesus. Jesus brings forgiveness. Jesus was impressed with their faith. It says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man. So when Jesus sees this, the man being lowered down, he sees their faith and he speaks to the man. He says, son. Your sins are forgiven. The Greek word for son, technon, means child. It can mean son. It's a, great, it's a term of great intimacy, of a person in authority towards another person under their care. Son, your sins are forgiven. Children of God today, your sins are forgiven forgiven in Jesus Christ. I don't know what the paralyzed man was thinking in this moment. Was he caught up in the intimacy of it all? Could he feel the effects of Jesus's forgiveness? Did his heart leap for joy? Or was he thinking, you know, I really appreciate the forgiveness in all Jesus, but I'm still paralyzed here. I don't know. But we expect Jesus to heal, don't we? We expect Jesus to to heal, and instead he offers forgiveness. It's a surprising little twist in the story. Remember, our fundamental need is for forgiveness. So Jesus focuses not immediately on the healing, but on forgiveness. What healing are you looking for in your life right now? It's not your primary need. Forgiveness is. 
pause just to let that sink in for a moment. What Jesus did for this paralytic man by forgiving him lasted for all eternity. His healing, which is coming up, lasted till the moment of his death. But forgiveness lasted for all eternity for this man. Yes, healing is important, but our fundamental need is for forgiveness. Jesus brings forgiveness. And in response, the faithless scribes bring their doubt and ultimately accusation. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And this stirs up trouble with the scribes who were there in the crowd, as they often were, scribes, the experts in the law, those who were the teachers of the Torah. And our Bible, the NIV says, they were thinking to themselves. Other translation says they're questioning in their hearts. It's all a translation of the Greek word dialogizomai, which at its really heart means to think out carefully, to reason thoroughly. They were, it can mean to debate, it can mean to argue, and that's what the scribes do. They argue out the fine points of the Torah, and they're thinking to themselves, how could this man say he forgives? How could this man say he forgives? It's blasphemy. Only God can forgive. So there, we see their deep and thorough reasoning is correct. Only God can forgive, ultimately forgive. And there is no reason that they thought that Jesus was God. He doesn't match their understanding of a king or a Messiah. And I was thinking about that today. Jesus is not the king we expect either. That is certainly true for my life right now. Jesus, as my king, hardly ever works in my life the way I think he should. So we have a certain amount. I think we can have a certain amount of sympathy for the scribes, can we not? We imagine yourselves as the scribes. Now, I know it's common for us as Christians to put ourselves in the role of people who are acting in faith like the man bringing the paralyzed man or the crowd at the end saying, praise God. That's okay. But sometimes we need to place ourselves in in the role of other people in the story. Let's play, imagine yourself as the scribes for a second. And in our sinful nature, we are the scribes, are, are we not? Think again about the link that I talked about in the beginning of the service between our forgiveness and the forgiveness of God. The connection between that You know, there is another line of reasoning that works as well. If you don't forgive others, then maybe in the moment, you don't recognize the fact that God has to forgive you. The scribes do not recognize Jesus' forgiveness because they see no need to be forgiven by God. But they are the very ones who should feel the need for forgiveness because they're the ones who study the law day in and day out. The law had to be accusing their hearts of sin because that's one of the things that the law does. It puts a magnifying glass on our lives and says, sinner, you need the grace of God. Maybe the scribes secretly in their hearts were accusing themselves under the weight of the law that they studied every day and therefore could not know forgiveness even as it stood before them in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's be careful here. 
if it is true that our brains are bombarded by the circumstances of our lives right now, and we are in this perpetual state of overreactivity, fight or flight, then it's safe to assume our current state of reasoning is not at its best in relationship to discerning the works of Jesus in our lives right now. We need to be gracious to ourselves. Again, no shame, no guilt. But maybe the scribes, too, were weighed down by life. We can identify with that, can't we? Maybe we don't feel like we even deserve the forgiveness of God. But I'm here today to say that you need to extend, extend the same grace towards yourself that God offers to you in this moment. I am all about self-love, self-acceptance, and self-forgiveness. Now listen to me carefully. Not as the world defines it, but as God does. And what God says is you are to have the same posture towards yourself that I have towards you. One of love, one of grace, one of acceptance, one of forgiveness. This is the Jesus life. Tons of forgiveness for everyone, including yourself. That is the posture of our king towards our hearts as he longs to forgive us. Faithful friends bring their others to Jesus. Jesus responds with forgiveness. The scribes respond with their doubt. And the Son of Man brings healing, verses 10 through 12. Jesus perceives their reasoning. He knows what's going on in their hearts, and he knows what's going on in our hearts as well. And he says, what is easier for me to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or for for me to heal him? Jesus is presenting an a fortiori argument. Don't be impressed with my knowledge. I looked it up in the commentaries. It goes like this. If I can do the more difficult thing, then the easier thing has to be true. It's easy to say, it's easy to say to a person, you're forgiven, right? Because you can't prove it. How do you prove it if he's forgiven or not? But Jesus says, if I heal this man, you'll be able to see it. It'll be verifiable to you, and you will know that I also can forgive sins. And then he says this amazing thing to the scribes, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic man, I tell you, get up take your mat, and go home. Don't miss the fact that he says to the scribes, I want you to know. I want you to know me as the Son of Man who has the power to forgive. They're reasoning in their hearts, but now King Jesus is reasoning with them. If I can heal, then I am your true king. Jesus knows the fundamental needs of the scribes is to be forgiven. He wants them to reason well and receive this forgiveness. And yes, he knows that their doubts will be eventually become their accusations. This accusation of blasphemy will be the very thing that puts the Son of Man on the cross. But for now, he wants them to know him. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is the first time in the book of Mark that Jesus uses the phrase, the title, Son of Man. 
The Gospel of Mark will use it 14 other times. And as we think of the Son of Man, our imagination is to go immediately to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees God in all of his glory. One is the ancient of days and this man that appears to be a Son of Man before him. And God the Father gives the Son of Man dominion over all people, all nations, all languages, everyone and everything. And then we are also to begin to think of chapter 9 of the book of Mark, which we'll get to down the road. But Jesus takes a few of the disciples on the mountain, and he is transfigured into all of his glory, into the very moment that the Son of Man is seen as having all power and dominion and authority over all things. And as he's coming down from the mountain, he says to those disciples, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected. This is your king, and he has the authority to forgive you. The reason Jesus has the power to forgive is because he was the king who was crucified, who died on the cross, who was raised to new life on the third day. He is the one who has ascended into the heavenly realms, seats at the hand of the ancient of days, our father God, and he has been given all dominion, all power, and authority. And today, saints at New Life Church, what will your response be to Jesus Christ, the Son of Man? Is your brain on overload in a constant state of overreactivity because of all the things that are going on in our lives right now? You're like, I can't hear one more thing. Pastor Tim, don't tell me one more thing to do. It's okay. Because Jesus has the power to forgive. Have you been unforgiving towards others? The Son of Man has authority to forgive. Is your faith all dried up and your thinking is more like the scribes than the four friends of the paralytic man? Jesus, our Savior, has the power to forgive you. In this time of great division, have you been harsh towards your brothers and sisters in the faith, accusing them instead of being their faithful friend? Jesus, the Son of Man, has the authority to forgive. He wants you to know today His forgiveness. Our fundamental need is for forgiveness. And Jesus, the Son of Man, has that authority to forgive you. Micah. Our story concludes with these words. It says the paralytic man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The crowd in one of those key moments does do what is right in that moment, praising God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. On this day, let us, the people of New Life Church, join the crowd gathered at Peter's house, giving him praise, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Have you ever seen a king like King Jesus? The one who heals. The one who puts himself in the place of sinners, this glorious and yet crucified king of the universe with complete dominion over every people, every nation, and every language. Who is 
this Jesus, he is the Son of Man with authority to forgive us. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we have never seen anyone like you, Jesus, our crucified and risen King. And we want to say today that you are beautiful in our sight. We see the physical paralysis of the man in Mark 2. But more significantly, we see the spiritual paralysis of the scribes. We don't want to be like them, but we confess this day that we often are unable to see forgiveness in the person of Jesus, weighed down by the cares of this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness. I ask that you would bring us the abundant life that you offer. And like the paralytic man, may we too get up walk, take our mat, and walk out in full view of them all, full of healing, full of eternal forgiveness, full of life. In your name, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.